Hi, I'm Leah Lane, an award-winning travel writer and author of Places I Remember, Tales, Truths, Delights from 100 Countries. On this podcast, we share conversations with travelers about fascinating destinations and memorable experiences around the world. Singapore is a tropical island in Southeast Asia off the southern tip of the Malay Peninsula, home to about 6 million people. It's been a city, a state, and a nation, and it became part of Malaysia on September 16, 1963. Singapore consists of some 60 small islets plus the main island separated from the Malaysian peninsula to the north. The southern limits run through Singapore Strait, where an Indonesian archipelago extend within 10 miles of the main island. Because of Singapore's ethnic diversity, English, Mandarin Chinese, Malay, and Tamil are official languages. Our guest today is Heidi Sarna, an expat living in Singapore and author of Secret Singapore. Heidi specializes in travel, business, and human interest stories, and she's explored around 80 countries and sailed aboard 120 cruise ships and counting. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you. You know, you've been on so many cruises. Can you first tell us what's going on in the Far East, especially in Singapore, in regards to cruising? Well, much of Asia, Southeast Asia, is still sort of under lockdowns of different different levels. But there's uh, cruises to nowhere, which I sampled actually about six months ago. Royal Caribbean, for instance, is doing nowhere cruises. And they were quite popular, I have to say. You had to do all the testing and all, but very popular. And they're still, they're still happening. And I, I did one. It was interesting. But more and more ships are coming through Singapore. Is that correct? They are, but cruising has not opened up, though, as it has in North America and Europe. It has not opened to that extent. There are some lines that are still paused, unfortunately, in that part of the world. Right. I think the future after this situation will be that the Far East will be growing tremendously in terms of cruising. So that's something to look forward to. Sure, sure. Pre-COVID, that was the trajectory was definitely going that way. So hopefully yeah. that will come back. At some point. <laughs> so you wrote Secret Singapore. Can you tell us some of the secrets and how you found them? Yeah. So I've been in Singapore for over 15 years with my family. And I'm a curious person by nature. I'm into heritage. I'm a writer, a travel writer. So I started exploring, and I realized that there's just more than meets the eye. A lot of people assume, partly rightly so, that Singapore is full of skyscrapers and modern everything, and they just have bulldozed the old stuff. But in fact, if you nose around, there is a lot of secret things, old ruins, seawalls. I especially love the old seawalls of Singapore. Singapore has a lot of reclaimed land. So if you know where to look, you can see the original, you can find the original coastline, which is a thrill for people. How far back does those walls go? Yeah. So the walls that I found were about a century old. and, And that's one of the secrets in the book. And, you know, in the old days, there were these grand mansions right up along the beach. And now there is very, there are far fewer beaches in Singapore because of the reclaimed land. So, yes, yeah, some are 100 years old, some are 50, 60 years old. Singapore's history really is only goes back to the early 19th century. For the most part, there were sort of migrating groups of people in the region as far back as maybe 800 years. But the British came in the early 1800s. So there are no structures that go back before the mid-1800s. Give us a couple of more secrets that you <laughs> especially like. So, right. So, beside the seawalls, there, there's an airport called the Kalong Airport 
that's an Art Deco gem that is sort of hidden now behind other buildings. And Amelia Earhart, for instance, had stopped there on, on her second attempt around the world. And so that's a beautiful old airport. The terminal building survives. So there is some really amazing Art Deco architecture. There's, for instance, there's a neighborhood, neighborhood called Ju Chiat, where you probably have maybe heard of the shop houses of Singapore. Those are based on you know, the shops are on the bottom and the people live above. And there's some really amazing old shop houses, but some have some secret elements. Like one has an old painted facade that is starting to show through. That is the oldest painted facade in Singapore. One Lee Kuan Yew, the former prime minister lived in. Most people don't know that. I think other secrets are old rail lines. Singapore used to have a lot of rail lines running all through it. And if you live there, you'll see there aren't any now, but you can find pieces of old track you know, so, so Secret Singapore is a lot of quirky history, and it's part of a series called, by, by Yonglei Publishing, there's a secret New York, there's a secret Rome, there's a secret, he has at least 100 titles, and it's sort of quirky secrets that mostly appeal to locals and people that are long-term residents, because maybe for some tourists, they wouldn't care as much about some of these offbeat, but, you know, th- there's some old mansions, too, in Singapore that a lot of people don't know about, because because it's a tropical country, the jungle swallows up things quite quickly. And so there can be things hidden in plain sight and you just don't know because of the foliage. But if you know and you read blogs or you read my book or you nose around the internet like I do, you know, you can sort of crawl around through, (laughs) through, you know, into the bushwhacking a little bit. (laughs) Like there's an old, oh, here's another secret. There's an old Shinto shrine, the ruins of a Shinto shrine from World War II. The Japanese occupied Singapore for a couple of years. It was brutal occupation. And then they started building things all over Singapore, including a Shinto shrine. And then when the Japanese were run out and the British came back, most of these things were destroyed, but there are still remnants in the forest. And I went in there once with a local guy who knew where it was. That was so interesting. The stone steps were still there. The font, some ceremonial stone font, but all hidden in the jungle. Like you wouldn't know it unless, you know, unless you had some insider tip about really it. interesting because i know many people don't think of singapore as having any of this kind of thing exactly. it's a, as you said a modern city and yeah. they go for that so really really interesting well when you get to singapore the first thing you notice is the airport i know it's known for being efficient and modern and terrific but they have something now called jewel jewel Ch- changi airport it's a nature-themed entertainment and retail complex. It's linked to three of the terminals. The centerpiece of it is the world's tallest indoor waterfall called the Rain Vortex. And your secrets sound very interesting because they're natural. This one is a typical uh, Singapore splendor because it's a terraced forest. It's 10 stories high. There's five stories above ground, five underground. There's more than 2,000 trees and 100,000 shrubs. And it's probably the largest indoor garden in Singapore. And they have old trees, hundreds of years old, weighing 3.5 tons each. So you can go outside or inside to find nature in Singapore. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite something. I mean, the airport in general, Changi Airport, truly is the best airport <laughs> that you could just go to. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure. It's efficient, as you can imagine, and all that, it's clean. And, but then they have features like this. I mean, Jewel takes the cake. But the, Singapore likes making places destination. They love the phrase iconic destination lifestyle. They have these sort of goofy words. But, but it really is a local people would go to the Jewel 
just to see the jewel. They're not flying anywhere just because of how you, you know, you described it. It's quite, quite amazing, you know, and then a lot of restaurants around and yeah. So there's something called gardens by the bay also, which is similar amazing outdoor or in, indoor nature garden sort of paralleling the outdoor tropical. Yes, Gardens by the Bay is a gigantic garden, and yeah. it has three main attractions. There's the Flower Dome, the Cloud Forest, and, of course, the Super Trees. People see that all the time when you look yeah. at pictures of, yeah, of yeah. Singapore, those huge trees, and they're greenhouses and all that kind of thing. It's good for the environment, but it's also become kind of a logo. And, and it's about Changi. I remember going there in the 1980s, and everybody commented that I think they did a statistic that you could get through customs in 17 seconds. It was so efficient. And that was a time when, you know, there were many more things to stamp and so forth. We didn't have fast, you know, go through kinds of yeah. things. So it's always been known for its airport. But now, of course, they've gone further on that even than before. Let me just ask you, Singapore is known for certain things. I'd like to hear your response about it. One is the safe and secure environment. We all know that it's a, it's a high level of law and order there. I remember going in, as I said, in the 1980s, there was a big sign, something to the effect that if you bring in drugs, you die. It was right. kind of as direct as that. It wasn't wasn't subtle at all. And they didn't yeah. have any drug problem during that period. I know the penalties for jaywalking and eating gum and so forth are kind of folklore. Is that is that true or is it? Right. Well, I'd say it's both because some of that is folklore. Like the, the gum chewing, it's actually illegal to sell gum. But it's not illegal to chew it. So if you bring it, why in, is it illegal to sell it? Well, because they they do want to discourage gum chewing and spitting it on. It's really based on they don't want the sidewalks, like in New York, to have all those blobs that you can never scrape off. So, so they don't want to encourage it by so it's not available there to sell or buy. But you're you're allowed to chew it. No cop is going to run after you. So there's a that's a little bit of a, a yeah folklore, as you said. Good to know. But yeah, but in general there are rules. I mean, jaywalking I've done. Nobody says anything about that. But but yeah, there are rules, which you really see in the COVID era. Like if you don't wear a mask, it's like a real thing. Like then you get fined or you get in trouble, you know? So, you know, it's, it's a benevolent dictatorship. I think that's how I would look at it, but, but things work well. And it really is sort of a pleasure to live there for the most part. Like I didn't feel like my freedoms were impinged upon really. Well, I, I know it's considered one of the safest yeah. places in the world. So that is a, a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's talk about something a little more fun because I know that Singapore is a haven for foodies and all kinds of foods are served and there's some something that's called the Hawker Center that I'd like you to tell us about. Right. Well, so back in the day, say before the 1960s, hawkers were actually men mostly who would go door to door hawking their food. And so they might have a pole across their back with two big hanging containers of food and a basket or such. And they would just go hawking through the streets, calling out whatever they were selling, chicken rice and whatever they would probably be saying in Chinese. And then people would come down or they'd send their staff down to get the fresh food. And so that was the hawker culture. But then when Singapore cleaned up its act and cleaned the rivers and tried to get rid of some of the busking and the selling on the streets, then they put these food sellers into hawker centers. So then all over Singapore are hawker centers. They still call them hawker centers, although they're really food courts, how an American would understand them. Yeah, and they're all over the place. A lot of local Singaporeans don't cook that much at home, you know, unless you're really wealthy and you have people helping with that. But if not, and both people are working and they have kids and they're juggling their lives, they eat in the hawker centers and they're often built 
around the towering uh, complexes uh, called the HDB, the Housing Development Board flats that most people live in. So yeah, they're all over the place. They have, they're affordable, you know, it's self-serve. You wait in line, you get it, you get your tray and you sit down in a, pl- in a plastic chair. <laughs> and so, some are better than others. I can't say I like all hawker food, but some of it, if you know where to go, they say, look for this, the stall with the longest line, of course, because there's a reason. I mean, sometimes you literally see 30 or 40 people in line. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's wow. you know it's so tasty and it's like four fifty a plate of for whatever they're getting. So yeah, I mean I go to them. I love the local coffee. They're called Kopi K O P I. I I craving the coffee. I've been in the U S all summer and I miss my Singapore coffee. What is the difference? What makes it so special? I know. I mean, I'm not a coffee expert enough to explain it, but it's 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 gritty and it's, it's like thicker. It's more grainy and it just has a really different flavor. They often mix it with condensed milk. I know that's not good for you, but that's really tasty. Sounds good. And then they pour it out of this long, you might've seen pictures like a long, um, a tin sort of pouring thing and they stretch it up and down so that it drops from a high, from their arms stretched out down into the cup. And that makes it frothy in a certain way. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole ritual. Fun. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I, I think besides the hawker centers and the, and the night markets and all these kinds of places where you can get local food, Indonesian, Malaysian, Chinese, Indian, yeah. Thai, whatever, Western, uh, there are also Michelin star restaurants. I read there are many, maybe 40 of them in the area. So it is a foodie, a foodie haven for, for all levels of cuisine, yeah. I gather. I'm going to mention just a few popular foods. If there's any that you especially like, just chime in. There's chili crab, yeah. laksa, barbecued stingray, fish head <laughs> curry, satay, Singapore noodles. Yeah. Any others? Well, laksa, you mentioned that, that that gets me salivating. I love laksa. That's a coconut-based soup with noodles. And there's different versions of it, but noodles and some seafood. And it's just a really spicy, yeah, I love laksa. It's not a diet food, but it's really tasty. <laughs> yeah, and Sri Lanka, and you mentioned the chili crab. Most of those come from Sri Lanka, and they're quite expensive. Even, even in a hawker center that looks quite run down with red plastic chairs, if you want the Sri Lankan chili crab, that's going to cost you twenty or thirty dollars. Yeah, people love it. And the fish head curry, I have to say, that is not something that interests me, but that's very popular. And the yeah, the little head is floating in there. And you know, for some people, they I'd say generally Chinese often like to eat meat off the bone, and so they like that the the bone is there and the cartilage, and it's a very tactile cuisine. And I would say generally Chinese tend to like that. There's something called, I don't know if you mentioned carrot cake. Now, that's one thing when I first arrived, I'm like, carrot cake, like carrot cake, like carrot cake with frosting on it. But no, carrot cake um, in the Hawker Center is made from turnips and it's so tasty. It's like shredded turnips, like almost made into sort of like a pancakey thing and mm. then syrup on it. It's so tasty. So why do they call it carrot cake? That's the obvious question. I know. Well, I think even in India, there's this white kind of turnip that looks like a carrot. Um, I know in India, True. they do. And so I think maybe it's connected to that because, yeah, yeah. I think it would be interesting for someone expecting that carrot cake with frosting yeah. to get turnips. Yeah. yeah. But I'm sure it's delicious. <laughs> it is. Let's see. What are some of the other things? How about the Singapore Flyer, this huge Ferris wheel? It was the second largest in the world until Las Vegas High Roller in 2014. That gives you a good view of Singapore, I would think. Have you been well, up? It's funny. Actually, I'm not crazy about heights, but my I sent my husband and kids on it like 10 years ago. And, you know, I would say that is a little bit of much of a muchness, as actually my husband has that great line, much of a muchness. So it's quite expensive to go on it. And it's not the best view, actually. Oh, really? Where is the best view? 
Right. So one of the best views that I've written about, for instance, is in a building, the Swiss Hotel is a building near the Raffles Hotel. But Swiss Hotel has a bar restaurant on like the 70th floor. And that's the best view. And so you can, there's a bar part of it and then there's a brunch place. So so that's a much better view. The Singapore Flyer isn't that high and has, you know, it's not a bad view, but you, you can't see all of uh, the islands. From- How about a view from the Helix the Helix Bridge? The uh, yeah. That's a bridge that's a spiral in the form of the human yeah. DNA. I know it has four viewing platforms. Do you get a good view there? It's that, That's pretty low, but it's a cool bridge. It, it's You can see the bay. You can see the Singapore River. You can see some of the, the, the oldest part of Singapore colonial architecture is at the mouth of the river. And the Helix Bridge is in that area, but yeah, but it's not high up. It's so, um, but yeah, that if I was a tourist, I would I'd say that you should walk across the Helix Bridge. How about nightlife? Is uh, is Clark Key? Is it pronounced Clark Key? Is yeah. there Clark Quay? Yeah, Clark is that the area? Well, I think a lot of tourists go there. I mean, Clark Key is good for just the setting on the river, and but I I, I wouldn't recommend eating on Clark Key. Sorry, I mean I don't. Yeah, with yeah, all the. <laughs> It's fun to walk along it, but I would say it's just more touristy and, and some of the bars, I don't know, I, I wouldn't go there. Yeah, so for, for nightlife people, there's Robertson Key, there's the downtown, a lot of the, on top of the Marina Bay Sands, you know, that's the three towers that you may have seen, it looks like a like a surfboard on top. That's an iconic building. They have some nightlife clubs on top of there. There's a place called Duxton Hill, which is sort of more cool in terms of nightlife and cool bars. Chinatown, the edge of Chinatown is some cool stuff. So yeah, there's definitely some nightlife. I mean, if you've come from New York or Hong Kong and you moved to Singapore, you'd be like, uh, you know, it's not the same as those places, but there's nightlife. Well, good to know. How about shopping? Everybody knows about Orchard Road. Is is that where you go or somewhere? Well, right. So Orchard Road would be just the big, big brand names, you know, Gucci and all that. And then Banana Republic Gap and that sort of thing. But if you want more interesting, I would go to some of the smaller shops in, in, in neighborhoods like Juchiat, even Little India, um, Chinatown. I mean, so then it depends what you want. But if you want more local stuff, more boutique stuff, then I would not go on Orchard. And, and I would say generally prices, you don't get a bargain in Singapore. So if you want a pair of some designer sunglasses, don't buy them in Singapore. Really? <laughs> like, yeah. They, like. A, so a pair of sunglasses I could get in New York for a hundred bucks or 200 there. So, wow. It's not, it's not a bargain lover's dream. No. Well, that's interesting. Cause I think people sometimes think that it's a great place to bargain and shop. So uh, I, that's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Not really. Now, <laughs> I mean, generally, but no. Good to know. I mean, if you want to take a walk, how about the colonial district along the Singapore river? That was an area that was, founded by Sir Thomas Stamford Raffles. And uh, I hear it's great for walking. You have the Victoria Theater, the City Hall, the Supreme Court, the old Parliament House. Is that a nice area? Yeah, so that's where Raffles and his contingent first arrived at the mouth of the Singapore River. And so that's why some of that stuff uh, is the oldest Victoria Theater, as you said, the Asian Civilizations Museum. We used to be a government buildings, but that that is one of the oldest buildings in Singapore. Yeah, it's really pretty there. It's really pretty. The Fullerton Hotel is another iconic building that used to be the general post office. And that's quite gorgeous. That's about 100 years old. So, yeah, definitely, even though it's touristy, definitely I would recommend walking around there. There's two or three bridges that span the Singapore River that are that are still there from more than 100 years ago. Many of them were 
built with Scottish steel, and they were brought over in pieces from Scotland and reassembled in Singapore. And you can still see, like, you know, the Scottish name on the, you know, somewhere on the bottom of the bridges. Like, the bridges are really cool. And there's some really nice mid-century architecture there. I'm sort of getting more into architecture. There's a a really cool brutalist building along the, the river, the Singapore River. So that's a really, it's a really neat area, definitely walkable. Well, also, since we're talking about Raffles, there's a a hotel that's one of the most historic in the world called Raffles. And in his 1889 book, From Sea to Sea, Rudyard Kipling writes of a place called Raffles, where the food is excellent and the rooms are bad. Is that still true? That's funny. Yeah. So the Raffles was just renovated again. I mean, it looks it looks amazing. And, And parts of it date back to the mid 19th century. But originally it was a small, small hotel with mediocre rooms, like he said, but it became a place where people like him would hang out. And so the reputation was of it being a a place to meet other writers and politicians and bigwigs and stuff. And then it evolved over the years to to have grander buildings and what you would see today. But it really did start as sort of a humble, almost tropical lodge. Um, Like you said, the rooms were bad, but they're not bad now. Trust me, they're really nice. But and they're expensive. Have, yeah. <laughs> but you feel like going, you, you go back in time when you're there, just walking around. Some of it's a bit touristy, like this uh, Singapore sling drink. I mean, I'm just saying like $30, like don't do it. Well, it's, don't, it's don't a gin. It. <laughs> Singapore sling is a gin-based cocktail <laughs> and it contains pineapple juice, lime juice, curacao, and Benedictine. You're saying that's $30. <laughs> right. No, I mean, it's tasty, but I'm just saying <laughs> it can be a little too touristy, gougy. Like, yeah. yeah. yeah well, you so. can have high tea there. That's fun too. You know, that's always some people enjoy when they go around the world. And there's something called the long bar. That's a, just a, a famous place to look at. It's a tradition there to throw nuts on the wooden floor to help with clearing the dust. So people still throw nuts on the floor, I gather. Right, right. But the, the long bar is one of the, that's, that, that room's been completely redone. So of all the places in Raffles, that's the one place that I don't care to go to anywhere because there's nothing original about it. I know I'm being negative, but there's- I know you're of, being helpful. I'm being, uh, yeah, but parts of the Raffles Hotel Complex are uh, authentic and just stunning. But yeah, I actually would, I, I direct people away from the long bar because it's not, it wasn't there and it was used to be in a different part of the building. <laughs> You're giving us really inside information, so it's terrific. Well, the name of the podcast is Places I Remember. So, Heidi, can you please give us one of your special memories of Singapore? Well, I would say sort of going back to something earlier I was saying about the jungle swallowing up things in Singapore just because it grows so fast and it's tropical. So when I first started nosing around, because I'm a heritage buff, as I said, I had read about an old Malay mansion or palace, even it was described, just off of a busy road near the Botanic Gardens, and it, which is near where I live. And I just couldn't believe it. And I kept reading these blogs. And then I tried to find it. And then the first attempt, I just was like walking in circles and getting bitten by mosquitoes. And But I kept reading. It was there. And then finally, I got better instructions from one of the bloggers. And I Paul, I really bushwhacked through the jungle with long pants on and, you know, mosquito repellent. And it was just like a quarter mile up this little hill in a really heavily wooded area. And there were the ruins of a Malay royal palace. And, and it's still there. Oh it's such a thrill. So in a way, that was a symbolic moment, too, of like hidden in plain sight. There really are more layers to Singapore. Peel the onion, explore. And, and that that 
propelled me to to get into the Street Secret Singapore book too. That was the first secret that I wrote up for the book, and and so that has a special place in my heart. <laughs> oh well, thank you, Heidi Sarna, author of Secret Singapore. You've shared some of those secrets here with us, and we really appreciate it. I'm going to toast you with an imaginary Singapore sling. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our award-winning podcast. We've recorded over 100 episodes of Places I Remember, so follow us on any podcast app. And new monthly episodes are also on YouTube with gorgeous video. My book, Places I Remember, is available in print and Kindle, and I read the audio version. Follow my travel writing at Forbes.com. Contact me at the links in the show notes or on my website, places I remember, and keep making your own travel memories. <laughs>